This next section is entitled Grafted into Israel, and it's really an excursus added to my study on Hanukkah. Because at this point in time, many well-meaning believers listening to my podcast are in fact Gentile Christians, or I should say non-Jewish believers. And many of them have questions as to what it means to be a part of Israel, or that is to say, a part of God's chosen family. All Gentiles who have placed their faith in the promised word to come, Yeshua the Messiah, have been grafted into Israel. And I need to explain that term a little more carefully. So allow me to do an excursus on this topic. Nearly 1900 years ago, the Apostle Paul, a.k.a. Rav Shaul, um, found himself being challenged by the risen Yeshua on what I like to call a most important mission. Our Lord chose to commission this Pharisaic Jew with an urgent message to the Gentiles. Let's read that message out of Romans chapter 11, verses 13, 17, and 18. Okay? Quote, However, to those of you who are Gentiles, I say this. Since I myself am an emissary sent to the Gentiles, I make myself, I'm sorry, I make known the importance of my work. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, a wild olive, were grafted in among them and have become equal sharers in the rich root of the olive tree, then don't boast as if you were better than the branches. However, if you do boast, remember that you are not supporting the root. The root is supporting you. End quote. Interesting passage. A whole midrash waiting there uh, to happen, but I, I won't talk on that now. Let me just hit the highlights of this most wonderful truth which is being discussed here. What does it mean for Shaul to say that the quote, wild olive tree, that is to say the Gentiles, were grafted into the quote, cultivated olive tree? What does he mean? I'm of the impression that the plain sense of the text is not easily confused. Let me just make a few points from my observation of the text. And I'm going to outline these in bullet points, okay? In four bullet points, let me seem to explain the olive tree theology. Bullet point number one. Through the efficacious ministry of the Messiah Yeshua, Gentile believers are covenant-bound to Father Abraham's olive tree, that is to say Israel, thereby making them fellow citizens and full participants with the commonwealth of Israel. You can reference Ephesians chapter 2 for that information. Thus, with this engrafting, they, the Gentiles, are granted the divine privilege of following the whole of the Torah, just like Israel is allowed to follow. Notice I say it's a divine privilege. It's not a burden to follow Torah. First John clearly tells us that his the commands are not burdensome. Why would God place a burden on the necks of his followers, only to punish them for failure to comply? No, people, we don't serve a God like that. Following God's Torah is an example of biblical freedom. What did God say to Pharaoh through the mouth of Moshe way back in Exodus? Let my people go so that they may serve me. The paradigm is crystal clear. A slave has no ability to serve his master with full um, dedication. 
but rather a freed man is free indeed to serve his master in newness of heart and uh, in newness of purpose. And so God freed Israel so that he could serve them. God freed Israel so that she or the people of Israel could serve him. And this service is outlined in the pages of the Torah that they receive at Mount Sinai. And were they slaves when they got to Mount Sinai or were they freed people? I think you know the answer to that question. Let's go on. Bullet point number two. We that believe that Yahweh himself has written this very same Torah upon the hearts of those, Jews and Gentiles, who have placed their trusting faithfulness in Yeshua. We are the engrafted ones. We are the remnant of Israel. We Jews and Gentiles who have accepted Yeshua as our very own. You can reference Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 as well as Hebrews chapter 8 verses 7 through 12 to see that the Torah is written on our hearts. Bullet point number three. We believe that this same Torah is a foundational revelation of the righteousness of Hashem and as such it serves as a description along with the rest of the scriptures of course of the lifestyle of the redeemed community. The Torah is our blueprint for living holy unto God. You can reference James chapter 1, verses 16 through 17 for that midrash there. And then my last bullet point on Paul's olive tree theology is that graft in it itself bespeaks of our affirmation to our true identity as a people, Jew and Gentile, that is securely rooted in the finished work of Yeshua HaMashiach. There is nothing we can do to perfect what he has done. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying let's walk into the Torah so that we can add to that which God has already done. May it never be. No. We rest in the finished work of Messiah. And as such, the Torah becomes the expression of our love back to our Father. Our thankfulness for redeeming us from a life of slavery and sin. And so we don't work for our salvation. We rest in what Yeshua has done for us. The Torah does not come alongside of us to save us. It never did. It was not designed for that function. No, the Torah is kept because we are saved. We are redeemed. We are free people. This next section is entitled, the righteousness of God. You know, in his letter to Rome, Shaul wrote in chapter 3, verse 28, that God considers a person righteous on the grounds of trusting, which has nothing to do with the law, or as in KJV it says, works of law. And we're talking about the Torah. So, we look at that verse, Romans three twenty-eight, where it says, a person is righteous on the grounds of trusting, because of their trust, which has nothing to do with the law. And on the surface... This seems problematic for my own teachings that consider Torah observance to be of great significance, doesn't it? If we just read the verse at face value and left it as it is, taken out of context, it does seem to be saying that. Yet, the problem here is really more a matter of hermeneutics than theology. What do I mean by hermeneutics? What I mean is the way that we approach the scripture and um, mine its truths. Not so much that Paul is teaching something theologically errant. Rather, we need to... Um, 
re-study the passage. So, what I believe Shaul is really talking about when he employs the Greek phrase ergon namos, translated in this verse as works of law, is in actuality a technical phrase that the Judaisms of Shaul's day employed to speak of the halacha, that is, to say the proper way in which a Jew is to walk out Torah. That's what halacha means. Indeed, as history has shown us, the prevailing view of the sages of the first century held to the common belief that Israel and Israel alone shared a place in the world to come. Thus, in this scenario, if a non-Jew, i.e. a Gentile, wished to enter into Hashem's blessings and promises, such a person had to convert to Judaism first. To be sure, this is one of the primary arguments delineated in Paul's letter to the Galatians. However, for Shaul, no such man-made conversion policy ever existed in Scripture. Where is it? It's not there. By contrast, what Shaul taught, most assuredly, was that Gentiles were grafted into Israel the same way that Avraham was counted as righteous by God in Bereshit, which is Genesis chapter 15. And how was that? Faith in the promised word of the Lord. You see how that works? Thus, the phrase works of law that Paul uses, and he's writing in Greek, it's, it's uh, Ergon Namas. This phrase itself all already has a Hebrew counterpart. It's Maaseh HaTorah. And so you have to scratch your head as a Bible student and say, What meaneth Maaseh HaTorah? Glad you asked. The Dead Sea Scrolls use this phrase as well, Maaseh HaTorah. And since the discovery of those manuscripts, we now, in the 21st century, have come to know that this phrase refers to, quote, some of the precepts of the Torah as adjudicated by the halakha and by the particular community wielding the most influence, end quote. That's more or less what Ma'aseh HaTorah means. Let me say that again. Ma'aseh HaTorah, as understood by the Dead Sea Scrolls, particularly the fragment known as 4QMMT, um, seems to refer to, as we study it, quote, some of the precepts of the Torah, end quote. And as I add, it's these precepts which are adjudicated by the halakha and by the particular community wielding the most influence over their people group. So, to be absolutely sure here, make sure we understand what Paul's dealing with, the halakha that teaches Gentile inclusion only by way of conversion read most often in Paul's letters as circumcision itself, the word circumcision, um, this particular viewpoint was naturally at odds with the true gospel of Gentile inclusion by faith in Yeshua plus nothing, right? In fact, if we understand that quite often, Shaul's use of the term circumcision in Galatians is actually shorthand for, quote, the man-made ritual that seeks to turn Gentiles into Jews, unquote, then the letter begins to make more sense Hebraically and contextually. So, with this knowledge at hand, we, the students, are now prepared to better interpret Shaul's pasuk, that is to say, his verse. So, let's look at his verse again. Romans, uh, let me see, what did I say? It was Romans 3.28. Let's look at the verse again. It says, A person is considered righteous by God on the grounds of trusting, which has nothing to do with the Torah. With the knowledge that we just discussed about the halakha of the 
proselyte conversion policy, we understand this verse really to be saying, quote, A person is considered righteous by God on the grounds of trusting, which has nothing to do with the conversion policy that seeks to make Gentiles into Jews first. That's what Paul's talking about when he says has nothing to do with the Torah. Hoy, how far we are removed from the context of Paul's letters. He uses terms that were known to his listeners, to his readership, but have become foreign to us today because we, the Western Church, have divorced ourselves from our Judaic roots, our Hebraic foundation. And being divorced from that, we can't understand the intra-Jewish uh, dialogue that's taking place in Paul's letters half the time. So, with the help of historical documents such as the Qumran texts and the um, Mishnah and, the, and the, uh, uh, the Gemara, the Talmud, I might add, we are able to unearth some of the difficult phrases that Paul was using. This next section is entitled, Law versus Grace. God is the God of both Jews and Gentiles, of this we can affirm. In fact, we read about that in Romans chapter 3, around verse 30 and 31. God is the God of both Jews and Gentiles. One need not change his station in life before God can accept him. Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to be accepted by God. That was the problem plaguing the first century Judaisms. I might add, however, that Jews do not need to become Gentiles. And that seems to be the problem facing us today. The church seems to think, in my opinion, that Jews need to forsake their Judaism in order to embrace Jesus. Leave your kosher, leave your Sabbath, leave your, your dietary laws, leave, leave your, your, your festivals. All that's done away with. In a word, leave your Jewishness in order to be accepted in God's sight. Something's wrong here, people. Because the real change that takes place in a person's life, whether he's Jewish or Gentile, is affected by the Ruach HaKodesh. When, because of Yeshua's bloody sacrificial death, the sinner, whether he be Jew or Gentile, takes on the status of righteous. Man cannot add to that which God perfects. Using the setting of first century Judaism, a conversion to Judaism, a.k.a. circumcision, in Shaul's mind added nothing to those wishing to be counted as true Israelites in the Torah community. They didn't have to do anything as Gentiles to be accepted by God. All they needed to do was place their faith in Yeshua. And Paul was teaching them that they were accepted by God on the basis of their faith in Yeshua, not on the basis of a conversion ceremony. And certainly not, as the church might suppose, on the basis of any Torah observance. No, to Shaul, their genuine faith in the promised word of Hashem, as evidenced by the genuine working of the Spirit among them, was all the quote-unquote identity they would ever need. They didn't need to become Jews to gain any, uh, any special identity. In fact, once counted as righteous by the righteous one himself, all the new Gentile believer needed to do was to begin to walk in that righteousness, a walk already described in the pages of the written Torah, a walk formerly impossible due to the deadness of flesh and bondage to sin. Is this beginning to make sense to us now? The Torah is not our enemy. The Torah is not against the promises of God. In fact, that's what Paul says. Do we nullify faith? I'm sorry, do we nullify Torah because of faith? God forbid. What I'm trying to explain is 
what our responsibilities are as believers, as freed men. Biblical freedom is not a license to walk away from Torah. That's where the misunderstanding comes in today. I've heard it taught over and over again. Quite sadly, I might add, that because I'm free in Messiah, I don't have to keep the law. What kind of nonsense is that? God's standard of righteousness always remains. What is holy will always be holy to God, and what is profane will always be profane. Biblical freedom is liberation to walk into Torah and into the righteousness that Hashem envisioned for us all along. The Torah is for us, not against us. Thus, to use church parlance, positional righteousness always, always results in behavioral righteousness. Put plainly, Torah submissiveness is the natural result of being set free from sin and set free unto Yeshua. Isn't that good news? This means that the ages old law versus grace argument is a dead argument. There's no there's no incongruity between God's law and God's grace. How could it be that way? The two are complementary because they stem from the same gracious God. The same God that provides us grace is the same God that gives us the Torah, his righteous standard of living. And it is the same God, I might add, who provides us with the spirit of Messiah, the Holy Spirit, who enables us to walk into that standard of righteousness. The problem arises when we try to walk that standard in our flesh. It will fail every time. The Torah cannot be walked out in the flesh. That is the problem that Paul is trying to explain to the new Gentile believers and to the existing Jewish believers, I might add. Torah is meant to be walked out by the Spirit. To be sure, God's grace is what actually empowers the saint to walk into Torah obedience. So, what are my conclusions for this teaching on Hanukkah? This section is entitled Conclusion. Failure to continue in genuine trusting faithfulness for either Jew or Gentile participants invited God to place them in a position that Shaul called broken off. In other words, natural branches, that is to say the Jews, could be broken off because of what? Lack of trust. And the grafted in branches, the Gentiles, could also be broken off due to lack of trust. Read Romans chapter 11 there. So, far from purporting that some ethnic-driven halakha secured one's place in the age to come, the olam haba, the native-born Jew, the convert Jew, and the good old-fashioned Gentiles all faced the same penalty for remorseless lack of faith. And what is that penalty? Spiritual death. So, we see that the Torah is the universal document for both peoples, Jew and Gentile, and it outlines God's plan for all mankind. God does not play favorites. What I'm trying to say here in this next statement is axiomatic, so let me just pause so that it will sink in for effect. The mystery of the gospel is that Israel is actually comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. 
to be grafted into the family of God is to join oneself to a Jewish olive tree without having to succumb to any kind of man-made conversion policy whatsoever. To this end, one becomes submissive to the instructions and righteousness of God and inherits the blessings of God whether he is of Gentile or Jewish stock. To walk in disobedience and lack of trust is to invite God's punishment and withholding of blessing. To belong to the family is to mentally, spiritually, and physically accept the family rules. That's just the way it works. To this end, both Jews and Gentiles are expected to practice Torah submissiveness within their hearts and within their communities. In other words, to submit to God is to desire and allow His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit, to continually mold a person's life into the example of the Son of God who did what vividly displayed a Torah-obedient and submissive life. This is the responsibility of a believer, whether he be Jew or Gentile. To suppose that, that faith outside of resulting action alone is pleasing to God is to misunderstand the valuable lesson explained by James or Yaakov. There is no faith outside of corresponding action. Faith without works is dead. Such faith is barren and of no value to God. Conversely, to mistakenly replace the genuine faith that the Torah teaches with some halakhic rules designed to regulate one's identity with God is to misunderstand Rav Shaul's valuable lesson. It is faith alone that gains God's favor. Faith alone that brings the, the sinner into the status of saint. In that initial act, that initial uh, uh, um, work of freedom, it is faith that drives the heart of God to open our eyes and to reach in and set us free. It is not the action. So we needn't misunderstand the two paradigms there, faith and works. They work complementary, but we must understand the order. Faith, when it comes to salvation, uh, precedes the works. However, once a person is genuinely saved, James teaches us that genuine faith will always result in genuine works. So, we need both in our lives. We need to walk out holiness. We need to walk in dedication to God. We need to practice the principle of Chanukah. Dedication. Holiness. Set-apartness. Dying unto self and living unto God. The Spirit of God will cause you to walk in that holiness. The Spirit of God along with the Word of God, will instruct you in matters of holiness and righteousness. Don't try and make it up on your own. Don't try and live under your own power. Surrender the flesh. The old man is dead. Live like it, if I could uh, play with the words there. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's paradoxical. Well, Paul, are you dead or are you alive? The answer is yes. Is my um, trust that those of you listening to this podcast uh, will also take up the challenge. Surrender to Yeshua the Messiah. 
give your life and heart to him. He will move into you and fill your life to overflowing with genuine shalom and with holiness. And at the same time, the Spirit of God will write the Torah of God on your new creation heart. And he can cause you to walk into his ways and to be a holy vessel unto him. To be a dedicated temple to him. Let me close with a blessing uh, that is designed just for this particular study. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam. Asher Natan Torat Emet Uvsurat Yeshua La'amu Yisrael. Uchol Ha'amim Al Yadei Bano Yeshua HaMashiach Adonainu. Let me translate. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who gives the Torah of truth and the good news of salvation to his people Israel and to all the peoples through his Son, Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord. Amen. That concludes our show for today. Remember... Because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua, through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song, Shema, was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A, number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.